Our first reading this morning is uh, from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. And that is on page 127 of your Pew Bible in the New Testament portion. Listen now for the word of God for you and for me. Therefore, set, we set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace. the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day went outside to the gate by the river, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from a city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what she had said, by, what was said by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. If you'd like to follow along, it can be found in the Pew Bible on page 108 in the New Testament section. Listen now for a word from God. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been laid on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent, bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me. 
because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Several weeks ago, we were with uh, some of our neighbors, and we were just having a casual conversation when one of the neighbors said, oh, I forgot to ask you, do you know who is doing a short-term rental in a house across the street from you? I said, no, who? He said, you're not going to believe this. Scarlett Johansson and Colin Jost. I know, that's what I did. I was, wow. I was like, no way. They, they, they live, they're, they're there. And he said, yeah, they're, she's filming a movie and she's there for a little while, short-term rental. Now, for those who've been living under a rock, Scarlett Johansson uh, is one of the most sought-after actresses uh, on the planet. She stars as Black Widow in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as other critically acclaimed and high-grossing films. Her husband, Colin Jost, is no slouch. He is a stand-up comedian, and he uh, is a sketch writer and performer on Saturday Night Live. Well, after I learned about this, I came into the office the the next week, that Monday, and uh, we had our staff meeting, and the staff can attest that this is a true story. I came in all giddy. I said, guess who's living across the street from us? They said, who? I said, Scarlett Johansson and Colin Jost. And they're like, no way. I'm like, way, yeah. They're living across the street from us. Then one of the staff members said, have you seen them or have you met them? I said, well, not yet. I've been on the lookout for them, not in like a creepy, weird way, (laughs) but like I have been looking out for them. Then another colleague asked what I thought was a very fair question. How do you know that they're actually renting the house across the street. And how do you know it's not just a rumor? Like, how do you know? I said, well, uh, so-and-so told me that one of our neighbors saw Colin, you can call them by their first name when they're your neighbors, (laughs) saw Colin taking out the trash on a Monday morning, and another neighbor saw Scarlett on an evening jog. That same staff member then said, but you haven't seen them. And I said, no, I haven't. And as it turns out, I wouldn't see them because by the time I actually found out that they were renting in the neighborhood, their rental agreement had already been over and they moved out of town. In the Gospel of John, uh, Mary Magdalene is the first eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus as she meets him in the garden outside of his tomb. In verse 18, we learn that she alone has the distinction and has the privilege of preaching the first Easter sermon. Consisted of five words. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And by the end of this chapter, the resurrected Christ appears to his disciples. And from that point on, prior to Jesus' ascension, more eyewitness more eyewitnesses can give an account of encountering the resurrected Christ. In fact, we learn from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul says very intentionally that there were over 500 people, 500 people who saw the resurrected Christ 
with their own eyes. 500 people. Now, just for context, just look around for a second. This sanctuary, according to fire code, holds about 700 people, okay? So maybe about two-thirds, four-fifths of the people in this room would have been witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. That's how many there were, 500. That's way more than the neighbor who told me that two other neighbors had seen Scarlett Johansson and Colin Jost. And of course, I trusted their witness, right? Like I trusted that they were telling uh, the truth. I trusted their testimony, even though I didn't see Johansson or Jost with my own eyes, I believed that my neighbor's claims were accurate and they were dependable. Now consider this. According to the World Economic Forum, there have been 55 billion people who have been born since the birth of Christ. Or just think about that. 55 billion people have been born on this planet since the birth of Christ. Again, the Apostle Paul claimed that there were 500 people who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now in this room, 500 is a lot of people, but measured against 55 billion people, that is just a fraction of a fraction of a fraction ad infinitum. This also means that every Christian, every Christian that's ever walked the earth, with the exception of those 500 persons, has been dependent upon the testimony of someone else dependent upon the testimony of someone else. And many people, both believers and non-believers, have concluded that Christian faith rises and falls on the credibility of the testimony of these 500 individuals who lived 2,000 years ago. So many of us will approach faith in this way and we'll, we'll, we'll frame it under these questions. Do I trust these witnesses? We use our reason do I trust these 500 eyewitnesses? Do I think they're credible? Is their testimony dependable? Should they be believed? Or should their claims be immediately dismissed as fiction or fabrication or worse, lunacy? And so many of us, right, we come to a moment like this one under this audacious claim that God raised Jesus from the dead and we start to, we start to engage that claim by asking the question, are those sources reliable? Is this text reliable? Is this story reliable? I want you to hold that for just a moment. I want to turn our attention now to our text from the book of Acts. And I want to introduce you to a character that we don't typically meet on Easter Sunday but I felt compelled to share her story, at least in part, today. And her name is Lydia. And in a counterintuitive twist, Lydia's conversion to Christ had very little to do whether or not she found the witness of Paul to be credible. It had nothing really to do with whether Paul's testimony was reliable or Dependable. In other words, the genesis of Lydia's conversion is not about the witness, but about something else entirely. The Apostle Paul meets Lydia on his second missionary journey. He's in the region of Macedonia. He's in the city of Philippi. 
And because Paul is a good Jew, he's looking for a place to go to church on the Sabbath day. And because Philippi did not have many Jewish citizens, there was no physical synagogue. And when there was no physical synagogue, the people of faith went down to the river to pray. And so that's what Paul and his companions do. They go down to the river to pray, and they meet a group of women praying and worshiping God. And Luke, who's the author of not just the Gospel of Luke, but also the author of the book of Acts, gives us just one line, one simple line to identify who one of these women actually is. Her name is Lydia. But in that one simple sentence, we are introduced to, I think, one of the most dynamic and unique characters in all of Scripture. Luke says one line, that Lydia was a worshiper of God, that she was from the city of Thyatira, and that she was a dealer in purple cloth. Who knew that one line could have so much dynamism? Let me unpack this for you. Lydia was from Thyatira, which was located east of the Aegean Sea in modern-day Turkey. That city was known for a commodity they produced, purple dye. It came either from snail's ink or matter root. But they were known throughout the ancient world for producing this dye. That's where she was from. Well, Thyatira is east of the Aegean Sea, but Philippi is actually west of the Aegean Sea, which means that Lydia had, a long, uh, had to traverse a long way to get to her new home in Philippi in modern-day Greece. Now, some refer to Lydia as the first convert in all of Europe, and it's quite possible that she was. I also like to think that she was the first pastor in Europe because the church was born in Philippi and met in her home. She was the shepherd of that house church. So Lydia is an immigrant and a foreigner to the city in which she lived. There's no doubt that she was a Gentile. She was a non-Jew, but she's also described by Luke as a God worshiper. So she had some sort of devotion, some sort of affinity or relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or she was an adherent to Mosaic law. Finally, Luke tells us that she's a dealer in purple cloth. It's quite possible that once she moved from Thyatira over to Philippi, that she brought with her some of the dye. Or perhaps she had this seafaring route where she imported this dye and she ran her own business. She had her own cottage industry selling and producing fine purple linens. And what's inferred in this text is that she was a person of great wealth because later on it references her household, that she has authority over her household, not a husband, not a father, not a male guardian. In this patriarchal world, it appears that Lydia was part of a small but strong group of independent women, women who fended for themselves, women who ran their own household, women who ran their own lives. So the long and short of it is, is that Lydia was an immigrant, entrepreneur, a small business owner, a person of wealth, a person of faith, who managed a large household, which included many people who weren't in her family. And here she is down at the river. She is a strong, smart, independent woman, and she meets Paul. And you think that a strong, smart, independent woman would be measured and listen to what Paul says and then decide, is his testimony reliable? Is his testimony believable? 
Does his testimony make sense? And so many of us, right, we come to those moments, and that's how we process our faith. We live so much, so many times, rather, up in our minds. And it's not a bad thing to live in your mind. Most of you are Presbyterians. We live in our minds. God is honored by that. But her conversion does not come through her reason. It doesn't come as she says, yes, I think Paul is dependable or he's reliable. Instead, this is what Luke said. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to attend to what Paul was saying, and she and her household was baptized. Lydia's conversion was not about Paul's credibility or lack thereof. Lydia's conversion was about God showing up and opening to her something that she didn't know that has now changed her life. That God opened Lydia's heart. It wasn't an exercise of the mind. It was an exercise of the heart that some way, we can't even explain it, that God came into her life and opened up her heart. The word for open in the Greek literally means to know something that was true that you didn't formally know. Luke uses this actually in the Gospel of Luke when uh, he's talking about the road to Emmaus. Not nod your head if you know that story. Two folks going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They encounter the resurrected Christ and they didn't recognize him right away until he broke bread and it was opened to them that they understood that this was Jesus. It wasn't an exercise of the intellect. It was an exercise of the heart that God moved in such a way that they were so compelled to be open and to take it in. Here's the big idea that I want to leave you with today. Lydia's conversion is not about her deciding if Paul was trustworthy or not. Some of us struggle with the faith. Some of us struggle with the claim that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we live up there in our head and we, we, we process it and we wonder, is this reliable is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? When actually what God might want to do today is show up right in your heart, right in the depths of your being, right in your soul, and open up to you God's resurrection power in a way that you've never experienced before. Because that's who this God is. God opens tombs. God opens hearts. God opens minds. God opens hands to be generous. God opens purpose for us in our lives. And this God who opened the tomb of Christ, who opened Lydia's heart, is ready to open us too. Ready to open us too. That's the message of Easter. That what God did in Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead, God can do that for you and for me. A few weeks ago, we welcomed one of our uh, 20-year-old son, uh, Johnny's friend, home during uh, spring break. He's a warm and thoughtful, intelligent uh, young man, and he's been a great friend to Johnny. And toward the end of his uh, time with us during spring break, he had a conversation with my wife, Katie, uh, about their families of origin, about the genesis of their family. And uh, toward the end of this conversation, he became a little vulnerable, and he began to share with Katie uh, some of, about his upbringing. He was raised by a single mom, he shared that his father struggled with addiction for most of his father's adult life and how he had abandoned the family. He walked out on them when he was just a little boy. His father, he said, was out of the picture for many, many, many years until recently 
Recently, they got in touch via text message. Recently, they got in touch via phone. And they've had a few conversations here and there. And then this young man said something to Katie that you don't typically hear from a 20-year-old. He said, Mrs. Sundermeyer, I, I look at Johnny and I look at Luke's relationship with their dad. And I'm not sure I will ever have that with my dad. But for the first time in my life, I'm open to it. For the first time in my life, I'm open to it. I'm open to what God might want to do in this relationship. Friends, the God who opened the tomb of Jesus Christ and raised him from the dead, the God who opened Lydia's heart, the God who opened Johnny's friend's heart is the God that can open us up to resurrection power too. Something that we can't quite put into words, but we feel within the depths of our spirit and our soul that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true and can change us and change the world.